Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. podcast, but to finish the editing on time, I'm going to need to construct additional pylons. He's macromanaging his alcohol consumption and micromanaging his sarcastic replies. It's Justin and Jacob, and this is Attention Deficit Discussion. Oh, that was that was glorious. Um, Thank you. You didn't say anything about Zerg rushing, though, and I... Well, see, I didn't want to make it an entirely StarCraft-centric episode, and Tank Rush is the generic term. How is Tank Rush a generic term? I don't know. Zerg Rush is a form of tank rush. I didn't... Yeah, go figure. I, I, you know, I, I have to imagine that tank rush came from Red Alert, then. It's possible. I mean, Command & Conquer did come a few years earlier, so... And it is one of the games that popularized the genre in the mainstream. I, I mean, prior to StarCraft, that is, right? Command & Conquer, Red Alert, that's 95, 96... Starcraft and Brood War didn't come out until 98. Yeah. Which Starcraft 1 and Brood War came out in 98. I yeah, isn't it it's crazy to think about that. Although as a kid, I did not like it didn't seem like they were the same year because I was no. waiting forever for it. So to the the savvy of those in the audience you may have guessed. Today we are going to be talking about real-time strategy games. A little bit on the history, a little bit on the influence, and a lot about our particular anecdotal knowledge and opinions. Including uh, why I think they're not relevant anymore. Oh, that's that's going to be a hard part of the conversation. Yes. Well, before we get there and talk about very present strategic tactics, we should talk about the past preparations that led us here. How was your week, Jake? It's been an okay week. Nothing, yeah. nothing too severely bad and I'm, i don't particularly enjoy airing laundry on on a podcast anyways but uh, i will say that um i started playing wow again two days ago i uh i saw that you made a note about that yeah i missed my last two days <laughs> all right then. the addictions come hard again i i haven't played anything else since i played it oof yeah i mean i've only put like 14 15 hours into it in the last like two two and a half days but there is a reason I have not touched that game again in, like, five years. There's a couple reasons. The first one being you were bad at it, but... Okay, I was not bad at WoW. I just don't play the game optimally, because I prefer to solo my MMOs, and that's not how most of them are built. In a game like WoW, suboptimal does mean bad. In a game like D&D, suboptimal does not mean bad, but the goal isn't the same thing. There's no DM that's going to make the raid easier because you want to play a high-intelligence warrior in WoW. Besides um, getting sucked back into the WoW machine, anything anything else worth talking about to the audience? I, honestly, no. No, I started back in on WoW, 
I, I feel like it's probably going to dominate a large chunk of my life for the next few months. I'm sorry to anybody in the audience that normally watches me and doesn't want to watch WoW, but if it makes you feel any better, I kill every gnome I see. Every single one of them. The, the only good gnome is a dead gnome. Period. I, I have only one rule when playing WoW. I, I have the uh, Bloodsail Admiral title, which you have to get by getting exalted with the Bloodsail Admirals, which are the people right outside the neutral goblin city in the jungle swamp. Um, but you have to do this by, like, interacting with and murdering a couple million murlocs. Uh, so, I just... Yeah. I might not even be exaggerating on the million part. It's a lot of murlocs that have to die for this exalted. Listen, I will come back to WoW when they make murlocs a playable race. That's it. That's it. That's my that's my prereq. I wouldn't put it past them at this point. With all this... They put in a bunch of, of random races and race offsets now. Like, there's a high mountain torn. What? Yeah. They have, like... Skills in mining instead of herbalism. Huh. So, like, there's different races of, yeah, that you can unlock. So, WoW is becoming more D&D by the day. Which is ironic, because Dungeons & Dragons' worst version was the one that tried to be WoW. Yeah. No, oh, yeah, that... Mm-hmm. And, and I can... I... I This hot take here. Having never played Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition, I will never play Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition. It's not worth playing. Having played Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition, I don't want to play Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition. <laughs> like, it's just the worst one. Then again, I don't like 5 as much as I like 3. See, I loved 3. We grew up on 3. That Like, okay, I grew up on 2 and 3. I was in the age bracket for both of those. Yes. And I really liked the You got the tail end of 2 before you got 3. Yeah, and then I was on the ground three to watch three X. and three fives. Just... Yeah, the, all the three point whatevers. That, and we're you know go ahead and lump some Pathfinder in here. Oh, Pathfinder's great. Yeah, but having been like in prime age range to experience both of those, I really appreciate the low bar of entry that Fifth Edition allows for. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I think there are a lot of things Fifth does really well. Streamlining is one of them, right? Oh gosh, yeah. That's that's the whole. It it streamlines the thing. I just hate the death of choice. I don't think like Fifth Ed has as much death of choice, unless you're you know going for Adventurers League or you're insisting on playing optimized character builds. I'm not. not no, I'm not talking about optimized character builds. I mean, like literally, there's ten percent of the feats, half the skills, the classes. It's there's not the same choice. You get one major choice when making a character, and that is what subclass do you go into? That's like it. I think there's there's a trade-off, and I think really what it comes down to is there are far fewer choices to, to make it less intimidating, but, but in exchange, every one of those choices is actually something that matters far more than they used to. Sure. Because there I, were so I, I many choices back in the day. you that in some ways you're right. Except prestige classes are basically the same thing as the subclasses. 
and there were way more of those that all did the basic same thing as the subclass was doing here, in that it gave you a bunch of different options, but you could only make the one choice, more or less. I mean, you could stack different prestige classes, but like once you become multi, 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 multi-class, then it started being really bad. Oh, yeah. And you know what? I, 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 but. I would love to like further unpack this. But yes, this is not the sorry. dungeons. This is not this is one not... of our Dungeons and Dragons series, so we should probably leave we it there for now. We should probably do we'll a D and D series next time because we we, you know we, we should, always fall into these conversations. Like, it's going to be like a six part saga at minimum. Well, I'm glad that your week was fairly passable, at least from a shareable standpoint. Mine was kind of very up and down. So for those of you who are keeping track, uh, coming into this from the the future. Uh, our last two podcasts were for Christmas and New Year's, respectively, and both of them were filmed and recorded before Christmas. Yes. So, it is now New Year's Eve when we are recording this podcast. Um, Which, so, we had Christmas. We didn't. Re- we never really talked about New Year's for the New Year's no. podcast. No, it, it, it was technically for New Year's week, because... Happy New Year. Yeah. This is, yes, happy... <laughs> Ah, uh, death to 2020. <clears throat> yeah, by the time you're hearing this, you'll no longer be in the worst year of our history. <laughs> no, you'll be in year two of the worst decade of our history. Oh. <laughs> oh. Uh, if that turns out to be startlingly prescient, I'm sorry. Like, don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> so Christmas went really well. We managed to get a hold of my sister-in-law and her family down in Arkansas, and they opened their presents, and everybody loved them, and that was fun. My wife officially won Christmas. She made, I think, like eight people cry because she is the master of gift giving. My mom and I were talking on the phone just uh, a couple of days ago, and I, I asked her about the gifts that they'd gotten, and Mandy had found like all of them because she's the one that finds gifts. I I approve or critique, but she she does all of it because her Amazon and Google Foo skills are are bar none. And um, she said, boy, it sure is good that you have her around. We need somebody like her in the family where we can just be like, hey, so-and-so needs a gift. And it, it will know it's done and it'll be great because she can find it. I said, oh, no, you don't understand. I could say, hey, Mandy. So-and-so's birthday's coming up. They need a gift. And she'll be like, oh, okay, let me check my list. And I'll be like, what list? And she's like, well, I have a Pinterest board. Well, actually, I have two. And I'm like, for them? And she's like, for everyone. So, yeah, Christmas went really well. I got some cool stuff. Can I, can I be really honest? Yeah. I don't understand Pinterest. So, Pinterest. Like, it's, it's, it's like Instagram in reverse. You're, like, hoarding other people's pictures instead of posting your own. I don't get it. I use Pinterest as an idea board. Everybody uses it for different things. Mandy uses Pinterest to gather ideas for parties, for presents. She and her friend Sarah do, like, uh, they set up parties for different small groups and stuff like that. And so they use boards to kind of put together, like, thematic ideas. The main thing that I do with mine is I collect character portraits and creatures and maps and ships and props that I will be using for either reference or inspiration in my tabletop role-playing games. That makes sense. So I will construct, I, I, I will collect, I have whole folders of like character ideas set by subgenre of game style. As like a purely, so I'm a weird 
DM in that I'm either completely clockwork or completely improv. There is no in-between. I don't do that. I am the I'm the worst kind of in-between because um, I will have great ideas and I will start to build them and then I will forget to finish building them and then it will come to 10 minutes before game time and I will... You have to uh, improv the things you didn't finish. Well, I will end up starting the game 15 minutes late because I have to write down the stuff that I was thinking about all week and forgot to write down and I can only remember half of it and then we get into the game and I have to improv everything and then by the end of the session it was really great and I'm looking back going, well, now I have to throw out all the notes that I just made. So we no, did that last that. night. Mandy, Mandy that, and I actually, uh, we, we, had a, we had a session last night playing a World of Darkness uh, uh, Vampire the Requiem game that we've had running for years and... Um, it went really, really well, and I pulled so much stuff out of thin air, and now I have to go back and rewrite just just a ton of things that are worth rewriting, but still, oh goodness. But yes, besides besides Christmas, which was largely good, I had an incident. Like a Pampers incident, or no, no, just a just I have a I have a short story here. I do, as I've mentioned before, Instacart runs, and two days ago. I went to go do a few of them because I normally, if everything else falls apart during the week, I make sure that I can at least do Instacart on Tuesday. So I can at least get it once a week to make a few bucks of extra side cash or whatever. And so it was Tuesday and I'd made a few runs. Uh, I'd taken a break and then went out to go do another run. And I get out. It's it's out in the boonies. It's sort of in the space that is east of our city and just north of the city to the east of us. So it's literally out in farm country in the middle of nowhere. I pull up, I drop off the groceries, nobody's home, I get back in my car. The driveway I've pulled into is just, it's unfinished. It's just large rocks shoved into the dirt. It's dark out. I go to back up. There's a tree to one side of me. I cannot back into that. I want to turn around in the grass real quick and then pull back out. Um, because the the dirt road that I pulled in from is very uneven and weird, and since it's dark, I can't see the approaching trucks. Only I go to turn off the driveway, and then I put it in drive, and nothing happens. Because on one side is a tree, on the other side is, like, literally swamp. I'm pretty sure by the large cap I narrowly avoided sticking out of the ground because it was dark and I couldn't see it, that I was stuck directly over the septic tank. And I dug my wheels in almost immediately, almost two full inches into the mud before figuring out why I hadn't moved forward. So uh, I had a friend's dad who was just putting a chain in his truck and heading over when I saw a truck go down the road past the house I was stuck at. And I went and I booked it the quarter mile down the road to catch the guy before he got into his house. And I shouted at him. I let him know. I said, hey, I'm... I'm stuck in the mud here. I just went to go deliver some groceries. Is there any... Do you have anything or know anybody around here? And he's like, yeah, let me grab my tractor and, and a chain and I'll be right over. And I'm like, okay, cool. Thank you. So he brings his tractor over. Long story short, I have a 2000 Corolla. There is nowhere to put a chain on this thing without ripping that carbon fiber body to shreds. But you're not supposed so to put it on the body. Yeah. There's well, there's 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 no toe spaces. points. No, there aren't any attachment points that we could find, and I looked it up online. I'm sure they exist somewhere, but I could not find them. Wrap it around the and main it's dark. axle? Uh, yeah, right. It's dark, and it's cold, and I am now covered in mud. Uh, my, I had brand new shoes I just started wearing two days before, and they are now caked in mud. They're Converse. I'm going to wear them anyway. 
So he ended up coming up to the back of my car, and he took the bucket of his tractor and stuck it right up against my rear fender. And I got in the car and put it in drive, and he feathered the tractor while I floored the gas until we got out of the ditch I created. And I have some mud on my car and a couple of scratches on the right-hand side of the fender that you almost can't see. And that was it. So I did a stupid... I waited till the end of the year to do something that dumb. And then I got away with it. Hey, it's a lot better than the time that you just didn't change your oil for two years. The time I did not understand how a car works and it died? Yeah. 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 And you I killed will, that one. I will never forgive myself. But I mean, in all fairness, it was dark. It's not that stupid to get stuck in the mud in the dark. No, but... You try it, to turn around, you got stuck. It happens. Like, trust me. If I thought there was any way that berating you for dumbassery here would be acceptable, I would. But it's just not that dumb. Well, no, it was a stupid thing. I, it, it wasn't necessarily that I was being incredibly stupid, but it was a stupid thing. I mean, getting stuck in the mud is, is Get, stupid. Getting stuck in the mud is stupid. You got stuck in mud, but yeah. I mean, but it turned I, I out to be carry... okay at the end of the day. Carry a couple pieces of wood and some kitty litter with you so you can get yourself out next time. Yeah, lesson learned there. I, I will say that um, after I got the car out of the mud, what was a rapidly descending uh, emotional low was very suddenly the climactic high ending of a very rough moment. And so what... What had been, like, a really bad hour became a really relief-filled, fantastic evening after. Although I'm still sore from trying to push the car out of the mud before I managed to get somebody over there. Well, yeah, how many sled drags do you do? Yeah, not not as many as I used to. I'm, I'm, I'm not the young buck I used to and be. You, and you used to do zero, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah I wasn't going to mention that. <laughs> um, I feel like then, that's exactly as many as you used to do. Right. I guess the uh, the only other thing of note, and it's only of note because you'll you'll understand this. I finally got in touch with mom. I have been trying to call her for weeks, and her phone has been malfunctioning and going either you, straight to voicemail just or just calling. Call forever. mom. Oh no, I haven't been. But every time I have called, you call somebody else at the house yes yes um and well i actually did this time too i called dad and mom happened to be there and she came into the back and dad was like call your son and she called and was like i didn't even get your call and i'm like that's sure she's like yeah my phone is just it's blocking she's no i i this actually happened to me like two months ago because i was trying to call her for i don't remember what but i tried like five times over the course of four days to get a hold of her and she wasn't returning my call and then i finally get a hold of dad when he's not at work and he's just like yeah like her phone doesn't take calls for some reason yeah except uh except our niece uh, emily can reach her for some reason she's literally the only phone that always goes through mom said if anybody needs to reach her that they should text her because those show up if not immediately within 15 minutes and then she will call back so we're operating on that whatever it is i she says, you know, it would probably help if she took us all off the blocked list. Eh. Would it, though? I don't know. Would that really improve anything? You would think a woman who is as skilled at talking forever would want to talk more. Literal hour-long conversations with wrong numbers. I was, um, I was pleasantly reminded about ten minutes into talking with her. I had the realization, 
while I'm trying to just catch her up to speed on the stuff that's happened in the last couple of weeks. That you are no longer in control of the conversation. Oh, no, it wasn't that, although I knew that from moment one. No, I had this wonderful epiphany where she's talking, and I realized that we had gotten off topic about four times, and I went, oh, yeah, that's right. This is where we learned it. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah, a family she's the trait ADHD or something. progenitor. I doubt this makes the final edit, but I, too, had a slightly humorous story that You're Stuck in the Mud reminded me of. Oh, yeah? It happened this morning, which is why I didn't remember it. Oh, yeah. It was yep, so long yep, ago. Yep. Ancient history. So, as you know, our air mattress has a little hole in it. Yes. We discovered that. Right. And the your tape job worked a little bit. It's not perfect. I tried to redo the tape job, and so I slept on it last night to try and see if I had fixed it. If it would at least be mostly inflated by the time I woke up. In the right, morning. so the worst you have to do is inflate it again the next night if you're using it again. Right, you know, just to see that if it's usable for a guest still. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, answer's no. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, I created a, an inflatable hammock. Nice. Where my butt was, like, against the ground. <laughs> but the rest of me was, like, nice and, like, <laughs> hammocked. I'm in the middle of this stupid mattress. It's a queen-size mattress. I'm in the middle, and it's just caved in on all other sides, right? You're like a hot dog now. And apparently, Kane, the 100-pound German Shepherd, tried to hop into bed with me. Oh, no. This morning, at about 9.30. And... Because it's a hammock now, he jumped in and then instantly fell over and started rolling and landed on top of me. <laughs> and I'm stuck in this stupid swamp, like, With you know, trying to get a tray you out of the swamp. And it's like, he's stuck, I'm stuck, I can't move because he's on top of me. He and, can't move. And of course, he keeps you don't rolling. have the camera on for it. No. But I'm telling you, if I had recorded that, it would have made me some money. Uh, eventually, I got him to stop flailing long enough that I could just shove him sideways <laughs> out of the bed. And then oh. I rolled sideways and the bed deflated around me so that I could just like fall out of the other side. That's great. But, yeah. There was a solid like three minutes where we're just flailing against each other because he's trying to stand up and it's not working. So he keeps falling into me and he's flailing and everything's panning. Speaking of three minutes of flailing. On to the topic of the podcast. Yes. Um, There is no better place to start than the beginning. Let us all say hail to the progenitor of the real-time strategy, Herzog Zwei. Yes, I actually, do you know what is so funny? I went to go look this up. I was like, where did this actually start? And I was I was scrolling through like a Wikipedia article on it, and that came up, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And then I stopped, and it took about 10 seconds to think about it, and I realized, no, yeah, that's really the moment it all took off, because um, there were it, real has, time, it has all the like, basic strategy elements. strategy games before then. Yeah. And there were turn-based strategy games more similar before then. But it's the first one that did real-time strategy in the way we think of real-time strategy strategy. as a pure genre now. Yeah. Right? Uh, Get rid of all of your total wars and your crossbreeds and the things that add other elements or change things. Real-time strategy. It's the one that started it. 
And uh, you know what? I actually went, uh, after I learned that, I went and loaded it up. Because I've got all my emulators. And I, I have it because we owned it growing up. We did. And I was not good at it. I was okay at it back in the I was day. like four. I don't think any four-year-old's good at RTS games. Yeah, I was like, I was in the eight to 12 range when I was playing it mostly. And, and I was actually all right. I remember enjoying the game a lot. I remember understanding the game a lot more than I do now. So I loaded it up yeah. and I went to play it. And uh, I learned two things really fast. The first is that I am no longer any good at this game. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> no. Oh, man. No, no chance. I, I had the computer on minimum difficulty, and I quit the game after about 10 minutes because I looked and I'm like, I, I remembered, you know, the basic controls and, and the idea of what you're supposed to do and... I think it was the third time I was blown to pieces by the enemy ship captain who had five bases to my three and was advancing on my third base and had just taken it over. I went, you know what? Easy is too hard. I am I am not good at this anymore. This is not well, fun. So while well, we're talking about the original RTSs, okay, first of all, how many of the original games even gave you a difficulty slider? Right? Like, it's kind of weird. That there were four levels of difficulty in that game. Like, that's really... Right. For the time, it's that's really one cool. of the only, like, early RTS games that's like, yeah, no, we'll let you turn this down. Mm-hmm. Right? But even then, their easy is pretty ridiculous. Like, yeah, as I learned really fast. Because it, it does not stop. I watched the enemy AI, and it just doesn't stop. Right, and and then you compare like it to way the, more than to newer next, RTS games. Well, no, just the next games in the series: Dune Two, Warcraft One, Command and Conquer, Warcraft Two, Red Alert. Uh, and yeah, the the Rising games it tied. It, it's right? progeny. The, the next series. Yeah, they don't have difficulty sliders. They just say, "Go screw yourself." This <laughs> is how hard it is. Yeah, if you can't beat this, get good. So the the second thing that I learned uh, while playing uh, equally as quickly is the soundtrack on that game still slaps. It's absolutely fantastic. I don't remember it particularly well, but I, I will take your word for this. I seem to remember there being cool music. I mean, it's like old school Genesis tunes. I I remembered and I went looking and I found it is one of four games that I downloaded the chiptune for years ago because it was one of my favorite games to play just for the soundtrack even though you know it's a genesis you've got like 30 second loop tracks and they're, they're literally really good eight notes possible yeah they, they, they were really well done it's eight they did bit a lot music on an 8-bit game uh, 16 16 remember genesis does what nintendo don't <laughs> that was the whole selling point around the genesis though it was a good we campaign double the bits yeah <laughs> people are like i don't know what a bit is but that sounds pretty impressive Bits are a form of currency in Equestria. You're talking about My Little Pony, aren't you? Well, either that or Equestria is a much broader topic than I am aware of. I over my head. Don't not a brony. Well, don't we'll understand that, we'll it. Have that I just we'll have that podcast. I'm not. It'll friendship happen. isn't magic. That's my contribution to that podcast. I don't know why <laughs> I said contribution weirdly, but contribution. <laughs> Anyways. So, yes. Herzog's Vi comes out on the Genesis. It is the progenitor of real-time strategy, and it is very unique in a couple of aspects. First being, it's basically the last time a RTS comes out on a console and is any good until Halo Wars and Halo Wars 2. 
I will make a small counter to that because one of the very next games that came out in the history of RTS games um, was a computer game. I believe it started on the Amiga and they ported it to the Super Nintendo and we had it and that was Populous. And the port of Populous was actually pretty decent. Populous is another one of those games that I don't actually feel like falls truly into RTS. Well, it falls into RTS, but its mechanical application of its strategy aspects is kind of odd when you look at it against other RTS games, because it still is a real-time strategy. It it fulfills all three of those words perfectly. Yeah, right. But it is real-time, and it is a strategy game, but it's not an RTS in the way that it's not, you consider the it, genre. When you we're talking about your method of resource gathering and and power consolidation and army building is entirely different. It's more like look at Populous Two. It becomes even more clear because they take the same systems and then just expand upon it. Populous is a god game that's just not quite there. It's not really an RTS. It's a god game. It well, just and isn't the best there part yet. of that is. The best part of that is, you know, when you take a look at it and you realize who was in charge of developing it. It was done by Bullfrog Studios. Yes. Which, you know, is Peter Molyneux who would go on to create the Black and White series. Yes. Which, again, shows which you is he was natural evolution. God games. Not. But the very first populace, while it may feel a little fringe, it is still within the sphere of, of RTS in terms of output, and in terms of the, the raw idea I, I, of an RTS. I'm not saying that you're wrong to categorize it as an RTS. I'm saying that you're wrong to really heavily include it in a discussion about RTS games. I, I feel like it deserves at least an honorable mention. Right, and, and I will say that, well, so another one of the points that I was planning on making, which I can make now because we're at a good segue for it, RTS is one of the genres that spawned the most genres. Oh my gosh, so many different games. Right, between RTS games, RTS hybrids, 4X games, MOBAs, tower defense, uh, just resource management in general, all of this yeah. came from well, heck, RTS. Um, in fact... Factorio, like if you take a look at how it functions, it has its roots in that same kind of strategy of resource gathering and development. It's just, you know, the combat takes a serious backseat and your end goal isn't to dominate the map, it's to escape it. Yeah, uh, but your goal is to control the map, yeah. right? And it's Escaping resources. it is just the, okay, I, I've controlled it enough I, that I can exactly. build this rocket and arbitrarily do something. Right, the victory condition could have been any one of uh, an arbitrary number of things, and it still would have worked. It is an RTS game, but we don't really call it an RTS game because it's not true it's to the genre, genre anymore. Yeah, right? the, which the is pure the same RTS argument game. I'm making on Populous not being an RTS game because it's a subgenre. Like, yes, is it real time and strategy? 
Sure, but those aren't the only two things that we really are talking about. I think the reason why I would put it in a slightly different box and include it in this discussion is that when Populous came out, it was really the only game quite like it, and sure. the idea of an RTS subgenre didn't exist yet. Right, it, but it still fell in that umbrella term when the terms were looser, I, and I think abs- for that reason, it, I want to include it when the terms were looser. But what I will say is, if you look at it in hindsight, in oh, the yeah. context of 1989 to 2020 right it's not really an rts game anymore it's somebody went oh hey i can do this thing that involves some strategy and not have it be turn-based that's it that's right it's it's no closer to an rts game than dota 2 is now i would agree that if something like populist comes out today no one would even think about classifying it as an rts game no not truly because if you look at the progeny of Herzogsvai, right? What's the next RTS game that comes out? Dune 2. Dune 2. Which is still, even with all the uh, sequels and remakes that it, it spawned, despite all of its missing features by today's standards, it still holds up on a basic level as a game. Yeah. If anything, it's a little bit frustrating because there are certain, like, hotkeys don't work. There's literally and... no quality of life at all. No. Yeah. That's not a thing. <laughs> Quality of life features don't start appearing in in RTS games until, I don't know. Warcraft 2, I think. Uh, Really? I'd say quality of life doesn't start happening until, like, Dune 2000, when they start having the production bar on the side. Warcraft 2 came out beforehand, and I think that was the first time where, like, group hotkeys became a major factor. You could, like, group up to, like, eight units at a time. Or well, or if they unless they were really big like the Dragon Riders and stuff. Yeah, do, like, so it was sixteen slots. I think it's the same system as StarCraft, where it's sixteen slots. No, StarCraft expanded it. I think there were twelve. There were twelve in Warcraft two. It's some num. It was an eight. I don't think it was eight. Yeah, I, it was. I'm pretty and sure it was twelve. Units took up I'm, one, I could look two, it up. I don't want four. to. <laughs> yeah. Right, depending on yeah. how, how big the unit was. It, or... it might have been sixteen, but I seem to recall that StarCraft expanded on you, that. You could be right. I'm. I'm going off of memory on that particular distinction. I was old enough to remember when we got Dune 2, because Dad was always into buying whatever the latest and greatest new things were. I played Dune 2 as a kid. I thought it was a fantastic game. I tried to go back a couple of years ago and play it again, and it um, it's hard because we've come so far. But you can see the architecture. You can see the groundwork that it laid. And yeah. from that standpoint alone, as someone who appreciates like the history of games and the the difficulty of retro gaming sometimes, um, I really, really appreciate it on so many levels. I would go so far to say, as Herzog's Vi might be the first RTS game ever made, Dune 2 is the first one to make a genre out of it. Yeah, it, yeah, I can I can agree with you. Features because... its characteristics are so present. Look at Warcraft One, Command and Conquer, Warcraft Two, Red Alert, the expansion, Age of Empires, Red Alert expansions, Total Annihilation, and Dune Two Thousand. Like that, literally, yeah, the, an entire boom of RTS six games. year stint, the golden age of their coming out with this new genre, and it's all based off of Dune Two. Each one keeps adding something to the puzzle. They're like, okay. But what if we did it like this? Or what if we let people do this? Or what if we improve this feature? Or what if Wololololo? Or what if... Or what if Wololololo? Absolutely. Uh, Right? uh, Um, But it all comes off of Dune 2. 
where Herzog's Vi might have been like, yeah, I can do this. Nobody's done this before. It's it's really not until Total Annihilation that somebody tries to take Herzog's Vi and redo it. Because Total Annihilation and Herzog's Vice share a lot of, of similar characteristics in the actual way that the RTS is played, given that you have the one commander unit, and it builds things, and there's also other units, so, like, it takes the concept and then RTSs it, oddly. We're gonna come back around to that influence from Herzog's Vi, but in a little while, because that influence pops up again in an unexpected source a few years later, but we're not there yet. So I got a question. You remember playing Herzog's Vi vaguely. Uh, yeah, I, I remember messing around. I never really built anything as a kid because you would just give me the other commander and I would fly around and shoot <laughs> units. Yes. Um, um, do you remember playing Dune 2 at all? No, I, I really wasn't into Dune 2. Herzog's Vi was on the Genesis and we were still playing with the Genesis when I was a kid. We were still playing the console. we had yeah. moved way past Dune 2 when I was at the age to start playing them. Warcraft 2 is the first one I remember playing, and I remember when we got the X-Pack. Yeah, Beyond the Dark Portal. Beyond the Dark Portal, that's it. I remember when we bought that. Vaguely. I mean, like, it's the Join vaguest the army, of... they said. Yes. See the world, they said. I'd rather be sailing. <laughs> this way! No, that way! I can see my house from here! It's so much... Okay, can we just take a brief moment? There's one thing I will forever be, like, salty about, and that is that RTS games gave you that unique opportunity that I don't see in other genres, and I miss horribly, and that is Easter egg audio dialogue from units. Yeah, there's not a lot of Blizzard were the masters that. of that. Oh. And it was all so good. Seriously. Um, it just struck the perfect chord between hilarious and cringy. And the the best it ever got right the pinnacle of this was warcraft, warcraft 3. 3 it's just easily there's no other warcraft 3 was the pinnacle all i see is darkness oh wait my hood's down once you go down the dark path forever will it dominate your destiny and you get dental darkness called but i was in the shower and i couldn't get to the phone on time <laughs> i tried to star 69 him but his machine picked up i think darkness must be screening his calls and, and i mean they they really did like take this to the next level when they did wow and then make the jokes where you could just they say when you cut off an extremity it'll grow a little bigger don't believe it but off of that slight tangent well we are still in the the quote unquote golden age of rts right the explosion yes, everything of that spawned from dune 2 really happened everything before 1999 which we'll take 1999 age of empires 2 comes out in 99 um yep it's uh, so does homeworld homeworld came out in 99 yeah but homeworld never had the same effect yeah i didn't really play it so the the big titles dune 2 and dune 2000 and westwood also did command and conquer which includes red alert then you have Warcraft, Starcraft, and it's not until 1997 that Player 3 enters the game and Age of Empires comes out. And yeah, they're the I was third say, major franchise. So we've got Blizzard, we've got Westwood, Westwood Studios. And, uh, and Age of Empires is... Through Microsoft, it was East something? No, no. Uh, Ensemble. Ensemble. I knew it started with an E. Ensemble Studios. And those are like the big three names. The three contenders through the 90s, right? That's 92 to 99. 
And from that point, we hit the small dark age. Are, are you saying, like, until 2002? Yes. Until 2002, there is no important title that comes out. And mind you, from 92 to 99, you have 14 games that are important. Yeah, that's a lot of RTS. That's a lot of saturation. Right? In seven years, that's two a year. It then takes three years for the next major piece to come out with Warcraft 3. Boy, was it worth it, though. Right? And then the year after that, the Frozen Throne comes out, and then we hit what I call the Big Dark Age. What really comes out between the Frozen Throne and Wings of Liberty that mattered? Age of Empires 3 comes out, which is a mediocre sequel to Age of Empires 2. There's a reason Age of Empires 2 got a definitive edition in 2019. It's the best game they made. Because it's still that good. 3 is meh. Empire Earth and Empire Earth 2 come out. Except I remember their those. Age of Empires 2.5 and, and 3.5. And, and they're not yeah, any basically. good. They're worse than Age of Empires 2. They're not bad games, but they're worse. Age of Mythology, I think, was another one that came out, right? Um, That's not an RTS. Or, no, that is an RTS. Age of Mythology probably does come out, but I thought that was earlier, not later. That could be after the Frozen Throne. You could be right. But I thought Age of Mythology was, like, 2000, 2001. Uh, let me look. It is 2002, October 30th, 2002. Okay, so that's in the Small Dark Age. Again, doesn't matter. It didn't affect anything. It didn't create longevity for the genre. Empires at War comes out, right? Star Wars Empire at War. And while it didn't do anything for the genre, I really enjoy it as a game. Sure. I'm not even saying it's a bad game. I'm saying that it didn't help the genre. I have a 15-second tangent on that game. I literally have one thing. Because it's a fun game. It's, It's worth playing if you like RTS games. But I have one beef with this thing, and it is the dumbest thing in the world, but I will stand by it. TIE tanks should not exist. They are an affront to the Star Wars universe. They are the dumbest thing they ever created. Why would you put tank treads on a TIE fighter? What is wrong with you? That does nothing except create a worse tank. Just make a tank. Seriously, like you can't you can't build a <laughs> TIE fighter to be an agile fighter. Put treads on it and go, we have an agile tank. That doesn't work. No, you just have a you you have a larger target. Oh, he's got these no, big fat wings on absolutely. there. Absolutely, they should not exist, right? And then the Otherwise, last game, game that of of any import at all in that big dark age is Command and Conquer Three Tiberium Wars, which isn't the greatest, but it was fun, especially the alien faction. CNC Two was much better. Sure, but Command and Conquer Three gives us the alien faction. It's actually a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with that. I'm trying to remember, right? Didn't you have to play the GDI and the Nod campaigns to unlock that one? I don't even know if they had a, an alien campaign. I I only played them in skirmishes. Oh, was it okay? I don't I don't See, think I the finished. aliens had a campaign. You could just play them in the multiplayer. I didn't finish three. I actually just after you know we figured out we were going to talk about this. I reinstalled it. I put it on this computer, and last night I played the tutorial mission. Which can I just say is. A, way too handholdy, and B, way too long for a tutorial. Okay, in, in fairness to them, RTSs in this era got a lot of flack for not handholding at all. There was a lot of, well, you should know how to play an RTS, and they just drop you into the game. 
Hey, that's true. Listen, we had two games a year for seven years. You should not have played RTS. Right. But it, literally, so it, again, 2003 to 2010, those are the four titles I can come up with of any import at all. And none of them really continued the genre. None of them really helped. That's so funny. I have two of them sitting right here. <laughs> I didn't even know you were going to bring them up, but I have both of them sitting yeah. right in front of no, me. No, that is that is actually hilarious. For, for what it's worth... Uh, I also really liked the Empire at War expansion with the sure the Hut Federation campaign expansion. Just you know, they had a really uh, a bunch of really unique uh, mechanics on the like global map that I thought were really cool, and I liked that. It I wish it had done more for the genre because it had some interesting new ideas. The crux of my point here: this Dark Age killed RTS. I would agree. Seven years without a meaningful title. Then StarCraft II comes out, and it revitalizes a genre that has been living on the frozen throne for this entire time. Uh, that's only half true, because you are correct. That was the last, like, big showstopper game that did something, but we've been living on the frozen throne and StarCraft. Okay, yeah, no, you're right. Which never stopped being popular. My my point is, is that StarCraft II comes out and we're still riding Blizzard's coattails. That's it. Those are the, they're the only ones really keeping the genre alive. And there's only so much they can do. Empire, uh, Age of Empires 2 has its fandom, but it's not a big deal. And uh, Westwood... Westwood, by that point, I'm pretty sure they'd been completely dissolved into Sierra. I don't think they even existed anymore. Yeah, you're right, I think. Can I just... Also, another thing. I had forgotten that StarCraft II came out ten years ago. That that made me feel really weird. <laughs> like, Yeah, no, it's it's a decade. It, you, want, you want something weirder? The last expansion to it came out five years ago. And I still haven't played it. Which you should. Anybody who likes RTS, if you have not played the campaigns, including the Nova series, you're missing out. You are missing out on some of the best missions RTS has ever given us. That is one of the things I really enjoy about RTS games, because I already mentioned I soloed my MMO. Um, I love camp, well-done campaigns in games. Like I really enjoy the multiplayer capacity, but mostly I play with my friends, not with strangers. Right. So I really like a strong campaign. Which, again, is one of the reasons why StarCraft II has managed its longevity for a decade. It's finally at the point where it is, it's dying. The player base is being reduced every year. It's not revitalizing. Something new is going to have to happen or RTS is dead. It is on its deathbed. Since 2015... What's there been? Halo Wars 2, which for an RTS on a console, it's not bad. It's probably the best we've ever had a console RTS. I don't know that it's groundbreaking. They just did a neat system with um, uh, interactive scroll wheels, right? So, like, you hold the button and you get eight options and then you get another eight options and then you get to pick. And so it makes it relatively easy to do an RTS on a gamepad. Which is a... Like, I gotta give them kudos for just doing that. I remember when the first Halo Wars came out. I don't have that one sitting next to me, but I do have it here in the house right now. I, at the time, it was not regarded very well by Halo fans. No. Uh, it's gotten more popular as time's gone on. People have gone back and played it and went, oh, this is actually a good game. But it, it was a I, good game with a very poor I UI. I really enjoyed it. 
I really enjoyed it a lot as a fan of RTS games. I thought this is a really good way to make an RTS game that is console friendly. We need more of this. And nobody else even tried. Oh, I, but again, you look at the reception of Halo Wars. It's not really a wonder nobody else tried. They spent how much money and didn't recoup it. It's not until Halo Wars 2 really comes out that people go, wait a minute, this is actually a decent RTS. Even if we don't care about the story, it's a decent RTS on a console. It's what we've been asking for for a long time so that we could play it on more things. But Halo Wars 2 comes out in 2017. They Are Billions did a really neat thing for the genre in 2018. They Are Billions? Yeah, it's a, it's a RTS tower defense kind of swarm defense it so the premise is that you're a city and you're surrounded by zombies and you're going to get attacked repeatedly by zombies and so it's an rts where you have to defend your base from zombie hordes incoming so it's a single player rts real-time strategy game with a pause mode and a single continuous colony management yes and what i will say is that It only really counts as an RTS if you play it the way that I think it should be played, and that is without using pause. If you pause, then you're taking something away from yourself. But, again, it's the same as being able to turn the difficulty slider down. Who am I to judge how you play Dark Souls, right? I don't care. I think Dark Souls should have an easy mode. Some people will enjoy it. The people that don't, don't play it on easy. Congratulations. But, then, look at... 2019 and, and 2020, what what's really happened? In a genre we used to get at least a title a year. Blizzard remastered StarCraft 1 and WarCraft 3 in the last couple years. That's happened. And what I will say is they're prettier, but they didn't change the game at all. So who cares? It's the same exact game. I get the same enjoyment playing the original StarCraft that I would playing the remaster. Right, you're like, I don't need fancy I don't care graphics. that the Zerglings are prettier. That's not why I played it. I and played it because Warcraft it pissed off my brother when I killed him four minutes in with a swarm huge. of Zerglings. Well, you didn't know how to deal oh, with 72 I'm Zerglings so bad at you dealing at minute with, seven. with Zerg rushes. I'm so bad at it. I never Zerg rushed you. I Zerg swarmed you. Those are different strategies. I am not uh, terribly good at balancing my micro and macro management i can do one at a time i don't do both well which is the other reason i like campaigns because they're a little bit more forgiving than well, other players can be <laughs> I, I mean when i was younger i wasn't good at it either which is why when i was a kid i actually was was pretty good on the starcraft one ladder because my strategy got rid of micro i straight up did not use it i out macroed you until you attacked me the first time and then I swarmed you with everything I had. Because you were not expecting me to just be a better macro than you at that point. Whatever timing attack you used, most people weren't expecting fully upgraded lings and yeah, 72 yeah, of them exactly. coming at you at minute 7. They're just not expecting it. You don't have the defenses we're gonna, for that. We're going to walk over see what's going on with their enemy and oh no. Right. And it's not like I was ever that good. I was... Well, no. But Eight, at the time, nine, at the time, a lot of those strategies but, really hadn't become commonplace. People, it was still a wild west for StarCraft at right. the time. Uh, yeah. Oh, the ladder was. Yeah, it was uh, changing constantly. But, like we hadn't really uh, settled into the tactics and strategies that are most commonplace and accepted now. It was everybody was trying whatever worked. 
I was uh, I was a yeah. very if I could survive early game, I was really good in the long game because I like to go Protoss and I would end with carrier waves with a right. with a fully which, tanked down. Which really just meant that your strategy Outlast. was turtle yeah. and tech. It, oh yeah, my base was completely tamped down. It was one hundred percent turtled. Um, there was no way you were yeah. getting past my defense. Which lines. is which is why I would timing attack you at like six or yep. seven minutes because I can't do it. I can't just early game. You can't have as many cannons as I can have. I am hydras just coming so in. bad just at can't. early game. I take so long to get myself together. I'm wow. If that right. if that's not a reflection um, of my life, <laughs> and I and I spent uh, like all of my time in StarCraft One just learning early game macro. What is the fastest and most efficient way I can get from start to killing you? And that was it. That was that was my strategy. It was just macro. And once I got up on the ladder, it stopped working. Yeah, because you finally once met people, people can who micro, knew how to do it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Right. They they were able to macro as well as me and have something else. What do you mean you can control your units individually? How dare oh, you? Man, Which I'm so crap? bad at hotkeys too. Stop That's it. my other downfall. I always have been. It's not until StarCraft Two really came out that I was actually any good at the actual micro macro thing i i got into i never hit master but i was the one right below master when it first came out which i think was platinum back when they there weren't like 17 levels there was like seven which i mean again considering i was like 17 and playing in college and didn't care it's pretty good uh never never pro worthy but i i liked rts i'm sorry finishing my point back off the tangent here um is that in, in 2020, this year, we got Iron Harvest, which promised some pretty cool things. It's supposed to be World War One, but if there were giant mechanical robots oh walking around... Oh my gosh, around, uh, that is a genre of fiction I am absolutely in love with. World War One Steam Mechs is a fantastic idea. Yeah, sure. It was a great idea, and I loved that they tried, but the delivery is lackluster. It's just not that great of an RTS. And people are struggling to come up with new ideas. They're struggling to to reinvigorate old ideas. There's no new IPs coming out. We're just writing Blizzard's coattails. And that's why RTS is dying. Well, you know, there's there's a lot more focus nowadays on the sub-genres that have come from it than on the progenitor itself. Things like MOBAs and uh, 4Xs and, and tower defense games. Yeah, hell, uh, Total War, the the whole Total War genre, which is we're gonna take Civilization and Command and Conquer and smash just, them together until they make a baby. It's gonna work, and it works. It's not you know a true RTS anymore, uh, but I, I guess that's kind of the point. True RTSs are dying, and it's the half breeds and hybrids and bastard children that are moving on. Right? I mean, look at the number of games that Warcraft 3's custom game mode gave us. Well, that's where we get, you know, MOBAs and TDs as as a genre of popularity anymore. The, that's how they came into the public forum, because both of them in some degree existed, but they weren't a thing until Defense of the Ancients first showed up. I was, I was about to say, MOBAs really didn't exist before Defense of the Ancients. The, I... I can't come up with an earlier MOBA. So the idea of a MOBA? Like, in the same form. The idea of a MOBA, 
I think really took root there. I'm not sure if that's where it started, though. Because I think... If it is not the Herzog's Vi of MOBAs, it's the Dune Here's the irony. I was going to say, Herzog's Vi is also a MOBA because you're only controlling your hero unit. It's the basis for MOBA ideals. Which is funny, because well, the MOBA came from RTS games. And if you look at Herzog's Vi, right. you can see it as a branching path from either of those. It's just that it didn't become popular there. Sure. I mean, I, the, the differences here is that in Dota, or Dota 2, or League of Legends, or pick your MOBA, you don't build the thing that builds the units that attacks your enemies, right? Uh, unless you're playing Hero Line Wars. Which is another game mode from Warcraft 3, where it's a MOBA, but every time you kill a unit, you get cash, and you spend that cash to spawn units that attack your enemies. And so, the more units you send, the more cash they have, the more they send, the more cash you have, the more you send. So, and so that actually, and actually, that sounds more in line with Herzog's Vi, in terms of you're a big dude and you have little dudes. Yeah. You just there's just no base capture element. It the map is the map is split, so it's like yeah, you know, you're I over remember here, it. they're over here. There's no interaction. Very similar to the line Tower Wars, which is the exact same thing, but for tower defense. The other reason I'd say Herzog's right? Vi is also a MOBA progenitor, just the long way round, is it has something that is a big deal in MOBAs, but is sort of hit and miss in terms of importance in an, in a strictly RTS game. And that's Checkpoint captures. In Herzog's Vi, you capture bases, and when you do, it increases your resource gathering, which you use for upgrading and purchasing additional units, which which becomes a very basic tenet. So I can kind of see it's weird. Herzog's Vi leads to Dune and Warcraft and uh, all these other, you know, Golden Age RTS games. Which then leads to kind of the pinnacle of that in Warcraft 3, which then throws back to some of those early Herzog's Vi concepts in defense of the ancients by combining what the RTS genre at that point had distilled with some of the older elements that we'd left behind. So, um... Hey, Justin here in the editing room. We lost some audio on Jacob's end at this point, and it took a couple of minutes to get it back up and running. So um, I would blame him, but it's probably partially my fault. I did give him that head injury. Anyway, we're going to skip ahead to where his audio picks um, back, yeah. back on. Yes. All right. Um, so I think it is a disservice if we don't talk about some of the actual, like the, the highlights in feature improvement that really make the big games the big games i know we've already kind of hit the history of and and we've talked about some of the offshoots i really want to get more into the offshoots of rts but for now as far as pure rts goes what are the big feature changes or feature creeps or whatever that you feel lended itself to the genre living for 30 years So I think a couple of things stand out to me as things that I recognized as improvements from game to game that made the genre really something with staying power and prevented it from becoming stale too early. I think one of the first ones, honestly, and we've already mentioned it, is the ability to hotkey group units. That ability to just mass select an army or a a specific group of units that you'd keyed up already. Um... 
really improved micromanagement and response times and really kept things fresh without you having to like scramble to you know select and in the same in the same moment because i i'm pretty sure they happened in in the same breath uh the ability to click drag to select units instead of having to grab them one by one yes is a I'm, huge deal i'm not sure but warcraft 2 might be the one that gave us both um, it might have been command and conquer i don't think you could do either of those things in warcraft 1 yeah i don't think so uh, Warcraft 2 came out in 90... 95. 95. The original came out in 95. Command and Conquer came out in 95 Five. as well. It was just earlier. Yeah, it was one of those. And I can't remember which one because I barely played the original Command and Conquer. I played Red Alert a lot more grown up. I knew they had it in Red Alert. Yeah, it was and, um, It was tried. I know they have it in Warcraft 2. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they have it in the original Command and Conquer. And then um, I think another thing that kind of advanced things because really when you talk about the advancements you're going from well what did dune 2 do and then what did they do next and then what did they do next so you really go from there right but but instead of just getting into the nitty-gritty of every change one of the big ones right hockey's is a huge one yeah hockey's is massive is a massive one right like both of those really improved the genre red alert gives you the production bar yeah so you can queue up being but you don't have to things. select the building. It's on the bar. Yeah. You just so be, you can queue you something with not looking at the building. Yeah, and that's right? a big deal. Not having to click on your construction one. yard or your barracks to build something. You just have to click the little the the subheader icon and then the list changes. Right. And it's a huge change that happened that not a lot of other people kept, right? Blizzard doesn't have that feature. No, Not you're even... still in Warcraft 3. You have to click on, like, a barracks if you want to train. In Starcraft 2, you still have to click on whatever it is to make it function. There isn't a, a sidebar for that. Yeah. That well, I think it works really well. Click the buttons. It works really well in the CNC the series. keys that let you select a building, so it, it works pretty well. It balances well. out. Yeah, it, it's two ways of tackling the same problem. I think I prefer Westwood's method. I think I prefer the CNC style, the, the Dune and CNC bar over the hot keyable uh individual buildings see it's probably just because i spent so much time in starcraft and starcraft 2 the fact that i can put all of uh my barracks and factories and starports on hotkey one and then i press one and i know i have all barracks selected if i press tab it's all factories if i press tab again it's all starports now, see, I I never used hotkeys on buildings, so and like I never a, used hotkey groups on buildings. That's so like, that makes sense. That would make as a big Zerg difference. Player, I think. I think I would prefer I that. All hatcheries. Man, yeah. Forget about it. I just never. I never thought, and that's again. See, that just shows my my lack of awareness of strategy in these games. Uh, I enjoy the games much more than I'm good well, at them. No, you just never grew out of Red to Alert. The, yeah, the right? very like, classic styles. Where you had to go back to your base and click your barracks and then click the unit and then like you never you never got rid of that mentality. I mean it's not until it, it might even be StarCraft two. I don't know if Warcraft three lets you do this the same way. And in Warcraft three it is usually just easier because there are like fourteen production buildings. Right. Oh my gosh, there's so it's many. It's usually just easier to, to map four hot factions key. and ah, all of them are bloated as heck. There's another huge feature. Um I know StarCraft lets you do it, but you can hotkey a spot on the map. Yes. To move your that's, camera there instantly. 
that's uh that is that was a big deal being able to and I noticed that when I went back and tried to play one of these games um yesterday and the day before is that um I, I was frustrated at my inability to hotkey back to home base in some of the earlier games. Yes. Um and I didn't realize that that was something that was a a later development until I played a game that didn't have it. So yeah, the ability to to hotkey to points in the terrain is really useful. Also, the ability to interact with the minimap Abs- was absolutely. a big one. That's, that's a huge that's another feature. Huge one. Dune 2000, I think. Age of Empires might be the earliest one I know lets you do that. I don't know if the Warcraft 2 does, but I, don't I think remember. Warcraft. I think Warcraft 2 might let you do it. I think they were one of the early adopters of it, but it's been a long time since I played 2. Yeah, I it's, really. Loved it's been a long 2. time. It's, I. I mean, I wanted this conversation, but it's. It's been a long time since I've played any of the early '90s RTSs, <laughs> and and here's here's the thing: like I've gone back and looked at Dune Two, and while it's very bare bones, it's still a salvageable game in its own right, and I still enjoyed the few missions that I played. Going back to play like the original Warcraft, it's hard. It's hard to do because there's so much missing from it. Playing Warcraft Two feels like three quarters of the game I'm expecting. Because Warcraft three and Starcraft improved so I, much, I I'm not saying it's bad. I played through Warcraft one, two, and the expansion. I want to say 2012, 2011, oh, yeah? somewhere in there. Right, DOS boxed it, did the whole nine, played yeah, through, yeah, yeah. and yeah, it was hard. But I don't know that I really thought of those games as feature incomplete. Well, it's, it's not that they were incomplete, it's that I was expecting things from later games and then was constantly having to remind myself they weren't there yet. Yeah, but I didn't find any more frustration with that than I did the last time I played Dune 2000. I guess that's true. Right? There's not that many features there that didn't exist, I mean, except in, like, Warcraft 1, where it was, like... There's, like, nothing. Yeah. It's a good game, though. It's still... I mean, if if it was a... But then again, I, I beat Warcraft 1 by just spawn orc attack move to enemy spawn or move go i think if warcraft one was reskinned and packaged as like a browser game it would do really well maybe yeah because it's got just enough difficulty for somebody who wants to kill 10 minutes see i feel like something that would be really cool is if they took starcraft 2's engine Mm -hmm. right take its editor and just recreate all of these old games in StarCraft 2's actual engine with the improved quality of life features that StarCraft 2 gives you, right? I think and that would be really cool. do your best to recreate the missions, not identically, but in spirit. Yeah, I think that would be really... Like, uh, almost like the Skyrim mod that's writing Oblivion. Yeah. Yeah, right? same, same idea. So it's not going to be identical, engine, but game. in spirit. I think that would be that would be probably a really good way to keep the genre going. It might be to revitalize it. Be like, hey guys, uh, we're developing this is this. It'll be out this year. You know, at a six month development cycle because these were pretty easy to build. We've we've beefed them up a little. Uh, we've kept the original storylines intact. We got some voice actors in over the weekend to fill in some gaps. And I think and it'd be a artwork. really cool way. Like if if Blizzard just put a team on this spent yeah six months a year blizzard if you're listening literally using starcraft 2's editor and just did the best they could to recreate the campaigns of these games 
in as close of a spiritual succession as possible. Like, just I think that's a wonderful idea. I really do think that would breathe life back into it. I would buy that. Right? Package this whole thing. Right? Get the get the rights from whoever owns Westwood now. Uh, oh man, if they did Dune. Right. Literally sell it as a Westwood pack. Give me Dune two, Dune two thousand, C and C Red Alert. E- EA owns it. Yeah, buy it from them. Buy, yes, <laughs> throw money at them. <laughs> Because I don't want EA to do it. There's no way I want my next peasant to cost three ninety nine. EA. They break everything they touch. I'm never getting sponsored by EA. I know this. <laughs> I don't care. No, 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 no. no. Let EA sponsor you if they're willing to pay to unlock the next tier of sponsorship. Well, either somebody has broken into my house or my wife has gotten off work early. So you might have a hard time editing out some puppy screams. I'm sorry well, about that. You know what? Um, I barely heard one in the distant background. And if someone has broken into your house, um, it, it will be a very interesting podcast in a few minutes. So, no, well, the puppies are screaming happily, so it's somebody they recognize, or someone with treats. Maybe it's the bear. Yeah, it's my wife. It's a girl. <laughs> I love teddy bear. I haven't thought about it since I told you that story last week. <laughs> it's a boy. Mandy is working on merch. Yeah, cellophane bucket bear. It's yep. a boy. Bucket bear. It's going to become our mascot. Bucket bear. Oh. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so the next major feature that I would say really revitalized the genre goes to Starcraft. Okay. The editor. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, I was the waiting The actual that original up. Starcraft, the editor. Warcraft right? 2 had an editor, but it was really basic and you, you couldn't change anything. It was just a map builder. It wasn't really a game editor. It was just a build your own map. Starcraft and, and Brood War, they gave us uh, the DBZ RPG, which yeah. is one of the best like random RPGs right. ever made into an RTS. I don't, I don't well, know how they got it to be so amazing, but they did. Well, the, the reason that StarCraft's editor really changed the game is because StarCraft really made it a thing to have maps with varying mission objectives. And when the yeah. editor was put in, it gave you the possibility to utilize those alternate objectives and then just destroy everyone on the screen. What you're really getting at is triggers. Yes. They that was, that is had what they a, called. a super duper uber robust system for triggers. Any action in that game could trigger any effect if you set it up in the editor, which let you have levels, right? You can level up in a game that didn't have levels. Yeah, which is really you amazing. Could, you could set it up so that you could gain XP by using triggers. And so they gave us some of the the, the coolest little like MOBA type things and, and battle yeah, precursors. Yeah. Uh, battle arenas, uh, tower defenses. There was a bunch of them. Um, uh, what is it? Spine crawler TD. I remember I, I probably spent more time in the Starcraft editor than I ended up spending in the Warcraft three editor. Sure. It was probably just at an age where you were more ready to experiment with it. You know? Well, it wasn't just that it was, I think, I think part of it had to do with the gap between the two games. I had more time with Starcraft before Warcraft three showed up. Yeah. And Warcraft 3 had a level of complexity in their editor that I, at the time, wasn't really geared towards. I think if I went back now and I, I learned how to use the editor again, because I'd have to go from scratch, it's been so long, but I, I think I could probably build something now 
that I would have enjoyed playing then, but I did not quite understand all of the complexity that was available at the time, and so I wasn't able to utilize it as well. StarCraft, I guess because it was a little bit more limited, I understood better, uh, and I was also more engaged in the game when it first came out. I don't know that it was necessarily more limited. It's, It's just that the complicated stuff was complicated to get to, so it felt more straightforward because it didn't tell you... Oh, hey, yeah, you can, you know, we have 400 buttons. This one adds uh, experience bars to your units. Right. right. Well, Warcraft 3, really, they learned from watching people play. <laughs> it was just yeah. add trigger. That's, yep. It was it was very complicated. Um, but you could, you could do all kinds of stuff. And then, again, Warcraft 3 comes out, and their editor's better, because the last editor was such a hit. We might as well let people have this. And that spawns this offshoot of games that just keeps going and going and going. Defense of the Ancients comes out. And now the highest money prize in all of esports ever is a Dota 2 tournament from last year's The International. Which is just crazy to think about. Like, really, Herzog's Fi spawned esports. <laughs> Thanks, Sega. What, what what's her name? Technosoft? Is that the name of the company that made Yeah. Thanks, Technosoft. Which if we're gonna talk about a depressing subject here for a second, but um I think this thing that makes me saddest uh about the plague that we are currently experiencing. There was no international this year, which I think the international even for you people who don't really care about MOBAs or don't really care about Dota because you play League or one of the other inferior games, uh, which I include League in. Like the one that Blizzard actually has. Heroes of the Storm, it's for casuals. They need to stop trying to make it an eSport. I could play Heroes of the Storm. It's for casuals. They made it. So on a legitimate note, I'm tangenting on my tangent, damn it. (laughs) dota is based off of dota league is based off of dota easy mode and heroes of the storm is based off of league but easier literally it's just a difficulty cliff that has been reduced for each of these three games it's more it's like it's like a difficulty hill in the last one it's more like a difficulty stair one stair if you get easily winded playing this game maybe talk to your doctor i think we have pills for that now Oh, speaking of which, I forgot to mention... Um... No! 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 You let me finish my <laughs> tangents before you tangent, damn it. Alright, fine. So, the That's plague no cancelled the international, and I am very concerned about what that means for esports as a whole. Because the international, since its invention in 2011, I think is the first one, has constantly drawn a bigger crowd and a bigger pool. Taking a year off would really hurt that since it's still so young as a as a thing i mean it's it's its 10th year but well yeah like but dota's getting sports. old people are compared losing interest in the actual game it's gonna do damage it just is it's it's going to hurt esports because it's the it's the flagship it literally is the tournament that everybody wants to have right league hasn't managed it they haven't managed to do something that big they do more things throughout the year they're all smaller and they do technically turn around more money but the audience is i I don't know 15 times the size for league than it is for dota and the international is still the biggest tournament on earth for esports it hasn't been beaten and it probably won't be for a little while having the flagship get hit 
is going to cause problems. And so it concerns me. It's definitely something to pay attention to and be aware of because, you know, a global crisis like this changes landscapes you don't think about. Like, there's the obvious effects, like, you know, travel and transport of goods and things like that, like medical services. You think about those, but it's the invisible effects that trickle down over time. And this is one of them. It's yeah. It's the interruption it's made to the gaming community. Well, look at how many games have been delayed because they couldn't. Everybody had to go home and work out of the house, and and it's yep. really hard to coordinate when you're not all in a shared office space. And so, you know, moving resources between people safely and securely in order to finish development cycles is a problem. Putting together tournaments for esports requires almost people to all congregate. tournaments this year have been online now yeah which is a negative for esports i think the best thing for esports is when we were treating it like a, a, a sport yeah well i was gonna say like a spectator sport right something that you actually go to and watch well and it proves the legitimacy of it as a thing right? Like, nobody's saying chess isn't a sport and that it's a game that requires a huge amount of skill, but when was the last time you filled an arena to watch two guys move pieces around on a board? It doesn't happen. I don't know, man, but that you know what? That Every time they hit that clock, I'm just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but people pay attention to the chess world. I mean, there's millions of people out there that actually care about chess. They care about who wins. They study the games. There's all of these things, and there's this huge culture around chess, but people don't go to the tournament and watch. It's not a huge crowd that shows up, right? Having esports have these venues, have these tournaments where... They actually were building stadiums and having people show up and watch. That was a huge thing for esports as being able to take itself seriously as a sport. And I wonder if the esport movement had taken off earlier. Like in South Korea, StarCraft was a an esport. It was a massive thing for years before the whole concept really came before to the, the American audience. market. Yeah, yeah, before the Western audience got on board with esports as a legitimate thing. If a Western audience had picked up that enthusiasm during the StarCraft era like they did in the East and Korea. Would the gaming landscape be significantly different now? Oh, I mean, probably. Like, just look at what GSL has and has not managed to do. They're the ones that run the StarCraft tournaments. Yeah. Case for anybody who doesn't know what GSL is. Uh, Does it, doesn't it mean, League. like, Global StarCraft League or something like that? I don't eh, know. probably. I don't know. It's, good it's guess GSL. Else, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's... That's the kind of, I don't, not to I be confused know what, with your local uh, GSA. That's an after-school club where kids are trying to break down the societal barriers between uh, straight people and not straight people. Okay, and the end of that tangent, like I mean, I participated in Cal when I was a teenager. I didn't know it was a cyber athletic league until way later. I don't care. <laughs> so, despite the fact that I absolutely encourage the legitimacy of esports the idea of anyone trying to sell me on cyber athletics i'm sorry i just okay okay but what about when vr advances to the point where we're having two guys fight robots in a boxing ring okay that'll be different cyber athletics and you know what i'm waiting for that to become a show give it another Wii five sports years and with that's cyber athletics damn it <sighs> That is going to be a game show. And it's probably going to be hosted by Wayne Brady. Rock'em Soccer Robots. Oh, that's if Wayne Brady ever leaves Who's Line to do anything long term. Well, he did Let's Make a Deal. And we saw how that ended up, didn't we? It was fun. I watched a few episodes. It's all right. I prefer his improv. 
Not He's as good as Drew Carey doing than... The Price is Right. I think Drew Carey is, is doing I very well there. don't really appreciate Drew Carey. No, that's okay. Not everybody does. Um, I think the funniest part about him, if we're going to talk about who's lying for this tangent, I think the funniest part about him is when they made fun of him. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, because in fairness, he's a good sport about it. And he's a big target. Oh, yeah. Well, he was a much bigger target back then. <laughs> uh. Do you know he doesn't, he got corrective eye surgery years ago. He hasn't needed to wear glasses for a really long time, but they become such a part of his persona that he wears them anyway. Because people you don't recognize him without You know what you'd look like without, without glasses? I wouldn't recognize you. I Seriously, you look like somebody forgot to draw half of your face. Like, like they got the bottom half to, and then just like had their like six year old like like draw the rest of the circle. <laughs> yeah, it's just, just like, some hair on. <laughs> like somebody who can't draw eyes made your face. <laughs> it's like all those artist drawings where you're like, yeah, we draw everything, and then you've got the hands, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Put your glasses back on. Um, back on topic here. Yes. Um, RTS games and and the the dire state of the future. I think, you know, I think one of the things that could really help revitalize the genre, I think something, and it it came to me while you were, you know, talking about this stuff, actually. I think that bringing a new IP, or rather an old IP, into the RTS genre would do a real number, and I think I know one that would be ripe for the picking. See, this is funny, because I was going to say that we need new IPs, and I was going to ask if you had ideas about it. So, perfect. You stole my next question. Oh, good. It's, I anticipated. See? Yeah. I know. I've learned your strategies. Um, <laughs> You Zerg rushed my question. You weren't ready for me. And my 72 answers. So, I think taking some old IPs that aren't traditionally used in the RTS genre but are popular would probably help revitalize because they bring in audiences from that IP as well as people who are interested in what it could bring to the genre. Mm -hmm. And the first one that came to mind is probably one of the most iconic IPs nowadays that has a lot of both fame and infamy surrounding it. I think that Half-Life would make a really good RTS game, especially if you set it in the periods between 1 and 2 where we're fighting the Combine. Or if you, you know said what? it right after episode I, two, I, I'd, I'd argue have... that the I think the fun one would be like the decline of the combine, but you're playing the combine as they're trying and I was to deal say, with yeah, like, zombies uh, and resistance. If you deal and... with like the post uh, two episode two, you know I don't know when exactly Alex takes place in the timeline. I haven't touched it because it's a VR title and I don't have VR yet. It looked good and I want to play it, but I don't know where it fits. But if you if you take it in that period when the resistance is actually fighting back and the combine are losing ground, and you could play both sides of that because any good RTS game gives you more than one yeah, campaign. Yeah, I just mean like I feel like the main campaign, right? The the natural campaign there that I would like to see is actually as the combine, right? Play the bad guys as you're being, you know, you got to deal with the, the freaking crab-headed attacks and all these random monsters coming after you and you're trying like, to scrape together it, resources to wonderful. build the giant mech walkers. What if, and... what if the resistance like manages to like, uh, they figure out how to breed, uh, head crab walkers or corral them so they can throw them or, at the combine. You or, know? Or like... they, they just, they mutate one or two of them and turn them into Queens and they're just producing massive amounts. Right. So you have to fight your way through and get to the queen. I mean, there's a hundred things you could do with that. I and can I think, see that as an IP that would work. 
I think it would really work. I think it would adapt. I think it would adapt well, and I um, think there's enough content there that they haven't touched yet. Yeah, I think one of the IPs that we're really missing is a Warhammer one that doesn't suck. <laughs> I was wondering if Warhammer was going to come up. I have a special love for both Warhammer Fantasy and 40k. Um, I'm a big fan of 40k. I, I love the lore of 40k. I mm-hmm. I'm super into it. Uh, I've I haven't played a ton of 40k. Um, as far as I, I haven't played the the war game ever. I'll, I'll be honest. I I have. Uh, but I have played the tabletops. I have some units. Uh, I was rocking. Oh gosh, back in I think it was the third or fourth edition of the Codex, I was rocking a Sisters of Battle army, the Adeptus Sororitas nuns with jetpacks and guns. They were fantastic. Just bear with me here, right? Where yeah. you're able to play as any of the Adeptus Astartes, right? Mm-hmm. Any of the Space Marines, right? You have all these different chapters that you could select from. And maybe when the game comes out, there's like five chapters, right? That you get to choose. But like, you know, DLC or whatever, they start adding chapters. And it really yeah. doesn't do yeah. a ton to it. They have their special unit and then, you know, a couple different buffs and whatnot. But the occasional, based like, off fun of Warhammer lore, works. the unit cap yeah. is the the DNA, right? Mm-hmm. So the Space Marines have to have that DNA, and it's recycled from Marine to the next Marine because they can't create anymore. They've lost that ability, right? So there's a finite number of Marines. So every time your Marine dies, you have to go collect their stuff to bring it back to make a new one. You could be fighting against orcs and the knockoff zerg that came first the tyranids tyranids that's it they came first i'll be honest i know it saddens me i still think the zerg would win but they came first you know what you actually bring up a really good idea there because it's a it's a concept that puts just enough of a twist on the rts without breaking into a hybrid category if you have a game that not because of hardware limitations but because of purpose limits your unit count and instead gives you a handful of tougher units yeah and encourages you to strategize how you are using them in a real-time setting as opposed to a turn-based one like think of it the the space marines you'd be limited to like 25 or 50 of these marines you could probably have a bunch of other units but you can use the point values that they use for building them in the war game yeah sure you know You you have x amount of points for this mission so you can only field so many units, and you unlock the larger, more powerful units as you get into the game. So by the time you're in like chapter three, you've got access to everything, and it's just, well, how big is the mission? Here's how many units you can have in play. And if one dies, you have to be able to, you know, grab it, bring it back, and either build a new one or create from, you know, the wreckage. Yeah, um, I mean, I could, I could see this even working as like, on any given mission, you really only ever get 10 Space Marines. But mm-hmm. you can field a bunch of regular soldiers. You you can call in bombardments from, you know, your your warships above, you, right? Planet Exterminatus, right? Like, just nuke them. It would really encourage a different kind of strategy because your unit caps would be much lower. 
but each individual unit would bring something unique to the combat. Especially if you then take and kind of build off that concept and make units individually upgradable. Yeah. As like if you've got ten Space Marines, you know you have to upgrade each Space Marine separately. But maybe you upgrade what kind of weapon they upgrade to. So, you know, you start with your regular bolter. This guy gets a multi-melt. Like, this combine guy gets that RTS pack. with these RPG elements. Yeah, with a with... squad-based RPG. And then, like, just actually put regular RTS behind it. You know, you're gathering metal mm-hmm. to create rifles to field more mm-hmm. regular Marines. And, oh, by the way, I dropped a um, an Inquisitor here. Uh, who Go pick is him up. like a super special hero unit. You could do so much with this game if you just made a 40k title that didn't suck. There's so much There's potential. so much. So it's much so potential. much lore and, and all of this. And then just imagine that game, and now you're playing the Tyranids. Mm-hmm. The whole gameplay changes. You don't mm-hmm. have a, a unit cap. You have how much meat can you get in this mission. Right? They have to eat. It's literally just, can you devour the enemy before you starve to death? There's another property that's done, I think they've done two RTS games, and neither of them were great. They were middle-of-the-road forgettable titles. Um, I mentioned I really liked Star Wars Empire at War. I really liked it. Star Trek has never been able to put out a great RTS game. And the idea of fleets of ships in combat should be a really easy thing to do. What I would say is that I think Star Trek as a genre lends itself closer to a Stellaris than it does a Starcraft. I can agree with that. Um, that being said, I think that the concept of of using an RTS for fleet battles is something that makes a good deal of sense. And I don't recall playing a fleet battle game other than Star Wars Empire at War, which when you're not planet side, you're, you know in aerial dogfights with your carriers and command ships, I, I don't remember playing a, a space fleet battle RTS that has stuck with me at all. And so I think a new IP or old, uh, hey, Battlestar Galactica, make a Battlestar Galactica RTS. That'd be fantastic. Vipers, Battlestars, set it during the Cylon War. Give me Battlestar Galactica, but put it on a planet. Yeah, well, no, 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 check this out. You could do both. No, no, do the defense of Earth. You, you can take the Empire at War route. Okay, so you've got space battles with the battle stars and your vipers against okay, the silence, but, and then you've got planetary if, battles. If, if, if with... I if I may, the problem with Empire War there is that they do ship battles and ground battles, and both are kind of mediocre because they do ship battles and ground battles. I would rather you gave me one that was great than two that are okay. I I will agree if you have to if you have to sacrifice, but I don't think we have to anymore. I think we just have to have teams that are dedicated to putting out a quality product. Sure, but I mean, how much time? To make that and then recoup, right? And RTS games these days, well, but really what I'm shouldn't saying is, take that much. Make two of them. Make two you games. Could. So Total War Warhammer and Total War Warhammer Two. Do you know anything about those? A little bit. I didn't play them. So they're Warhammer fantasy games, and they both play like Total War. But the thing is, is that the big thing that separates them is there's just different factions in each game. But if you own both, you can play the map that has both factions both sets on the same map okay right so give me a star wars fleet command and a star wars ground command games right you know the battle for naboo and whatever and i'm using star wars here just as an example yeah yeah any space you can put all of your love and attention into one and then tell me 
that for $5.99, I can buy the DLC that lets me play through the campaign of both. You know, actually, that'd be a pretty cool idea. To, to use that the, the Battlestar example again, you could do the fleet battles as one game. Then you could do the like the ground-based Cylon combat as a separate game, both using the... You could you build them off the same engine, yep. and then really easily you could link the two. You could either play them as separate games, or if you I, own I, I both, mean, in that, you could play... You could, you could straight up have it so that one of them is more like a 4X. Right? Yeah. The ship command one is more like a 4X. And then when you get into these actual battles, if you own the RTS, congratulations, now you're zooming in and playing an actual mission on the RTS. You know, that's actually not a bad idea. With the right random generation, right, to change things up a little bit, a game like that would have so much replayability that as long as they did the IP justice, they would revitalize the genre instantly. Yeah. Also, I think there is an entire branch of gaming here that really... um needs to get on board and not not necessarily because this is something i want but it's something i think has potential whether i want it or not and should be recognized and that is that nintendo has never done an rts game i would actually play mario rts i would play a mario rts you're playing like princess peach in the mushroom kingdom versus koopa and his koopa troopa army yeah it would it would slap and yeah. with the switch you can absolutely do that I and we've already proven that. consoles are viable and then you know what give me a third faction that's run by um, the Penguin King, and it's just monster faction. And his frozen army. Oh my gosh, yes. Well, but he just, he unites all of the monsters under one rule. All the, the independents that don't follow Koopa. All right, so you got Koopa and his little Koopa troopers. Oh my gosh, we can bring the in the shy guys. No, no, the the third, check it out. And... No, the third faction, the third faction would have to be uh, like a tropical thing, because the Yoshis would have to be, no, shoot, because they'd have to be with Mario. They'd be in the Mushroom Kingdom. Man. Yeah. Yeah, I guess the penguin can make a good third faction. Yeah, I mean, or choose any other major like monster boss in any of the games. But Super Smash um, strategy: take major Nintendo IPs and build armies. So you've got Mario and the Mushroom Kingdom. You've got Zelda and Hyrule. You've got okay. I'm sorry, my brain just went um, Super Mario Tactics instead of that would work too. So now I, I mean, just it's not the discussion I want we're Final having. Fantasy Tactics, but with Mario. It's not the discussion we're having, but oh my gosh, I would I know. snap that game up so fast. A hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. I've got a other max other IPs to make RTSs on. Oh, uh, the Expanse. Now, see, okay, this hurts to admit that I have not seen The Expanse yet. Because I think The Expanse could make a wonderful RTS. I don't care that you haven't seen it. You're wrong. Watch it. Everything I hear about it tells me that I need to see it. And I just have not found time to watch it when I don't have other things I also have to be doing and or watching. Because there are a lot of things in media res... <laughs> that i am not a part of right now but i'm, I'm just I'm, I'm having a concept here right mm -hmm. so as an rts its campaign would focus in individual solar or individual systems right so the space around jupiter the space around uranus um the kuiper belt right it would it would have these missions in these smaller spaces okay but just imagine a game where you have the entire solar system yeah. to scale that functions in time scales that actually works right so realistic physics with realistic trajectories simplified sure right take the whole solar system and actually make it on one exact plane so that it's a lot easier and don't have anything move or have <laughs> yeah it on the map at you least know, normally right so you'd simplify it somewhat but you know yeah it takes nine months 
to get from the Kuiper Belt to Jupiter. Whatever. Make the timescales realistic. And then you have three easy factions where you've got Earth, who has the most and the biggest ships, but they're old and janky. Mm-hmm. You've got Mars, which has the newest and the fanciest toys, but they have the fewest of them. And then you've got the Belters, who basically have jankity-ass scrap ships, but they've got gumption, and every Belter has a ship. We're gonna try. They keep stealing Earth tech and Mars tech, so their ships end up having, you know, combinations of both, where they've got Earth missiles on a Mars freighter, and... I know it's only tangentially related because it involves space factions and Mars is one of them, but now I want to go back and play like the Earth Siege games. Star Siege. That's Again, a whole a mech We will based... get to mech games. Uh, no, that's a that is a mech based IP that would make a great RTS game. You're right. It would Earth make Siege a wonderful RTS or Battletech, game. Either one. As long as we don't do it like any other strategy game that has come out of mech games. You know, Battletech had a uh, tactical, real time strategy it's... game back on the. I think it was on the Genesis. Yeah, was not I just great. Don't want the turn based ones that we've got now. It's not an RTS. Battletech's a fun game. The new one. It's not an RTS. It's just not. No. And I would love to have a squad-based RTS in the Battletech universe. I don't even know that it needs to necessarily be squad-based. Give me a big-ass map and finite resources and 30 different mech variations. Yeah. And then just let me build the ones that I want to use and throw them Ooh. at my enemies. Ooh, okay. I got I got a wild card here. All right. Hmm. You talk about an existing IP. Bioshock. I don't know how you structure it as an RTS. So the maps would be sections of city in Rapture. Sure, but Your factions would be people who follow Ryan versus people who are following Atlas slash Fontaine. And okay, so you're talking about the fall Yeah, I'm talking about... As an RTS. Yeah, the splicers. I could see it. Yeah. I still think it might be a better, like, tactics game than it would be an RTS. Oh, definitely, but I see definitely it. would be, like, a viable to tactics game. I think it'd be really interesting to be fielding splicers and then, you know, maybe finding a way to grab yourself a big daddy uh, hireable mercenary spawn unit on the map and or throwing a little sister into the other party in order to get them to go after uh, said party. I think I think there are a lot of interesting mechanics there that could be utilized, and there's a lot of interesting potential in the series that we have yet to explore, and I, I really feel like it has not gotten its due quite yet. I will 100% agree that I don't think the IP has been fully utilized. And I think exploring I just... different genres would work, and I think I think an RTS is worth looking at. I do agree that I think it would be probably more be viable as a tactics game. to be a game. good RTS. Yeah, because it, it would work well I, on a smaller scale. I, give it to me as XCOM. Right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's that's true. That's Where true. you're fielding these small units through you know, maps filled with splicers and everything else and you gotta deal with it, right? I mean, like, I could see a hundred different games from that IP. I'm just struggling to come up with a good way that the factions work the way that they like wooden RTS. Lego. Actually, a Lego RTS could be fun as hell. Yeah. Right? Like give me the spore unit building oh right and then just let me save a couple of those combinations and here's what you could do you could get uh base units that spawn each level and then at the end of the level any blocks you've collected during the mission you can go into an editor if you want it's totally skippable and you can edit each unit yeah 
I could see it. So you get that extra I'd complaint of 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 unique uh, playability. Yeah, I could see it. Yeah, I I would play that. I would play the crap out of a Lego RTS, especially because being a Lego RTS, you could actually not only change your units, but you can do so by in mission changing the landscape by ripping blocks up or building blocks. You can't. There's a river between you and your opponent. You don't have any water-based units. That's okay. Build a bridge, literally, and then rip it up when you're done. I, I think it would be hard mechanically to pull off, but I think if you did, it would be great. It would require a very strong team to code that properly, but I think it would have a massive amount of potential, and it would be viable for a huge age range. The, yeah. the barrier to entry there would be so low. Well, that See, that'd be another one of those games where I feel like, you know, you need difficulty sliders here. Uh-huh. Give me the five-year-old mode, and then give me the, you're a 30-year-old master of warfare. Well, you've never seen anything like this, bud. Yeah. Our units change themselves in the process of war. Your casualties are my armaments. Exactly. Like, yeah, you know, give, give units that work. can transform. You know, mid-combat. You have a unit that's obsolete? Take them apart. Yeah. You literally just build a new unit out of them. Why not? Just take your tank apart and make it into a fighter jet because you don't need tanks anymore. Exactly. And, you know, your resource there is time. It's like, well, this unit isn't doing anything right now because it's transforming. That would actually be a really interesting way to do an RTS. Give you a starting number of blocks and make it finite. And so you can field as much as you can build with blocks, but you need factories to put things together, and that takes blocks. So how big the factory do you build? Well, and then it would come down to, like, the sheer, like, base brick number as opposed to independent bricks. Because there's so many bricks nowadays, it'd be really hard. But if you just have, like, a a brick number... Basically, like a brick counter. Or, or peg count. Yeah, essentially. And they use, like, a generic number of calculating your, your brick size, uh, your your actual inventory of bricks, and then each piece is worth however many. And even if you made it, like, easier to code by taking away, like, actual individual brick placement, just give me, like, stat sliders. So I'm making a unit. Do I add the ability to fly? Okay. It costs That's extra bricks. X amount of bricks. Yeah. Because you got to um, stick an engine speed, on Speed, power, toughness, all of these are, are Upgrades to, like, armor and weapons and speed and stuff literally changes the brick configuration of the, the thing. Yeah. I mean, you'd, you'd have some way to, like, either randomize or, you know, you would just do the generation of the 30,000 combinations that there are or whatever. Yeah, right? you could like, throw in some RNG there into, into configuration. Also, because of the limitless number of sets you have for LEGO, they could bring out DLC for decades. Oh, I, I, DLC on every IP, mm-hmm. right? Like, hey, now it's a Star Wars RTS. Yeah, exactly. It's would just work. Yeah. That could be a really, really fun, a really fun one. Um, Mass Effect. Mass Effect would be a fantastic IP to adapt. The Krogan Wars. That would be so cool. Right? Krogan as a faction. Um, well, then you've got, you've you know, got your the, Turians You've got the Rachni that are a non-playable. And... No, make them playable. But I do it in 100%. a DLC. I don't know that they need a campaign, but again, Command and Conquer okay, 3, skirmish. the aliens yeah, don't have a skirmish. campaign. You Just give skirmish. them to me in skirmish mode. They have the fewest number of units, but their simplicity is their strength. Right? Like, you just pump out Rachni after Rachni. But you've got, like, the Krogan on uh, one side, and you've got, like, uh, the, the Turians on the other. I think that would work I, really well. I mean, you could do a hundred things with it. You could do some really cool things there if you just took some creative You could even do the, the, you could do the first contact wars. So no, that you could have Krogan wars. fighting 
Turians fighting humans. Yeah, fighting there's so dirt. much potential in that IP. That universe is so expansive. You could even do like an N7 campaign. Yeah, it'd be um, closer to the Nova missions in StarCraft Two, which you haven't played. Um, but you know, you have Shepard. Well, we're as not a Shepard. Hero unit that the, is present in the all Shepherd, of these missions. Uh, uh, adjacent character is the the shepherd proxy right you have Walker. the hero know, unit that is present throughout and you know you have n7 and you have these missions that are more based around a small number of units and occasionally is a real rts but they're really cool missions those of you who have played this are probably understanding where i'm going and those of you who haven't are probably bewildered by my inept at explaining it properly. but You know, there, there are so many properties that could potentially make the jump into an RTS that would bring an interest back to the genre and would really inspire some things. I mean, like, take anything with any kind of war or conflict in it and then just go, all right, yeah. let's RTS that war. Basically. Let's RTS that conflict. Let's, let's hammer that bit. Um, I mean, hell... When's the last time we had a World War II RTS that was good? Oh, uh, 2011, maybe? There was one, it's, um... No, I can't remember the name of it. I, I mean, like, literally, you could make a World War One one. You could make a World War Two one. You could make a Korean War one. Vietnam? Like, just give me wars well, as an RTS. I mean, that's what they are. But make it mechanically a good RTS. That's all you need, man. Take away the grand strategy. Do, do a Marvel RTS. an RTS. You got S.H.I.E.L.D. on one side, and you got Doom's Latvian army on the other. Your hero units are all Marvel heroes or villains. Okay. I was just, I was struggling to or come you, up with Or you do something crazy factions, like you get, so uh, you get, it, um, you know, Doctor Strange fighting Dormammu or whatever. You know, you want to take a weird uh, cosmic bent to it. You know, what, whatever you want to do. Or Thanos. You got Thanos' army encroaching on, you know, Earth. Hey, you remember that weird uh, superhero RPG? Yes, yes, the squad, uh, the squad RPG, uh, real time. Yeah, yeah, uh, Age, of, Age yeah. of Heroes, something of Heroes. I remember, I remember one of the main heroes was a guy well, named you know what Minute I'm Man, about. who was like some old patriot who got given like essentially like super strength and yes. made all young again. And yes, okay, so you remember what I'm talking about? That system. With an RTS backing yeah. it, right? So again, like this hero-based RTS where you're walking through these missions yeah. as a squad of heroes, right? You know, you've got the Justice League trying to take down... Okay, so whatever. so you want to do like a superhero RP, RPG-style RTS. Okay, so one of the problems with a lot of superhero uh, genre things is that you have a limited roster because every hero is like they have to be unique to matter well what if that wasn't the case what if what if certain sorts of superpowers are basically either really common or really easy to replicate so the system uses your different hero types as units and when they spawn there is a random generator that creates different costumes for each one so they're still unique but they all share a common theme yeah, so you get a squad of pyromancers, yeah. and they all have different... Fire. Hell, you could even include, like, a randomized weakness, right? One of the pyrokinetics is weak to strong right. or, winds. Or you can even you can out. even adapt them, like, uh, with upgrades or something that, that makes them strong against something and, and weak against sure, something I, else. Like, it adjusts on the fly. A video game back in, like, the 2000 era where you were... You were, like, one monster, and you were fighting to, like, kill things and evolve yourself. 
Evolva. Uh, yeah. Evolva. You you had those four. You Make had those that an RTS players. I think you had those. They were funky, bizarro colors. They all looked like melted plastic, and you killed things. And it was sort of like. Sort of like stage two of Spore. And as you got enough points to upgrade, it gave yeah, you like four options I, to was choose a, from. It was a terrible game and I loved it. And you, yeah. But just imagine that as an RTS where you start and out with, you know, a base yeah, creature type. And as it starts killing things, you get the ability to evolve. Man. Like each individual unit like randomly evolves. Or you evolve your army. Sure. That would really change the genre. But I mean, like it could take its. You could add some quality of life things into the UI there that would make things a lot easier as a unit evolves randomly and gets more tanky or durable, right? It adds it to one slot where it's like, these are tanks. These are damage. Yeah. Dealers, it auto groups them based units, on their primary spellcasters. These are melee yeah. range, yeah. whatever. Right. With, with a little bit of coding tweaks. I mean, you could have all of these things do some really, One of the upgrade really systems you could put in place RTSs. into a system like that would be to uh, specify what sorts of upgrades your creatures uh, choose between in the RNG. If they have a choice, Desire. well, I yeah. just killed this unit so I could either get strength or armor. Uh, I want my units to uh prefer strength like you've got like a toggle system that you can upgrade to so yeah, yeah it's either sword you know? hands or blade tentacles but yeah you could you could have it so that like you could choose um yeah preferred evolutions or desired outcome right you could select a bunch of units and have a desired outcome for them right so like desired outcome more health or more tanky or more durability they would select evolutions that make them or healthier, or, tankier, or they have, more durable. Or they have general advancement, and your upgrade them. trees allow for more diverse evolutions. Sure, absolutely. I mean, again, there's a, there's a dozen different ways you could do this concept. There's a lot of options, and it would totally revitalize the idea of an RTS because it'd yeah, be a different if, way instead of, of at having it. units. They, you know, I'm not spawning zerglings and hydralisks. Mm -hmm. I have the blob. I spawn a blob, and the blob takes mm -hmm. something down, and then he gets to evolve. Now, every time something happens, I get to make the choice on my resources. More blobs or yeah. stronger units. See? That's great. Does he use that evolution points on himself, or do we create more units? Anyone with coding skills. These are free ideas. Free ideas. Take them. I will yeah, pay honestly, for a successful honestly, product. Just, just let I'm us know when you. it's out so we can pay for the the, the pre-order copy and give our reviews before it comes. Exactly. A fun John Kickstarter. Absolutely. I just... Uh, so, um, as we start to wrap this up here, I got a question for you, Jake. Hybrids, RTS slash whatevers. What's your favorite? Do you have a favorite? Oh, War Warhammer and Warhammer The Warhammer too. games? Because I got an odd one. I got a bit of an odd duck here. I... Really? Let me just explain for a small moment. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Why Warhammer 2 is the best hybrid here. Okay. Because you can spawn rats for free as Skaven and then use an entire tactic where you just tie up enemy units and light everybody on fire. <laughs> just everybody. To have a death wheel? Congratulations. It's like a six meter tall ball of blades, fire, and lightning. And I'm going to run it through my line and yours. My units are going to die, but mine are cheap. Yours are expensive. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, the Skaven absolutely make the Warhammer games for Total so, War. So it is an RTS. What else is it as a game? 
Um, it's it's a grand strategy like a sieve. So there's the oh okay the top map. So it's, and then the zoom have, for battles. And then yeah, the battles happen, and those are real time battles. Cool, cool, right? cool. So it's not like your typical RTS where you're spawning units in the battle. It's it's you know you come in with whatever units you had that you made an army out of. It's a total war game. Awesome, right? Okay. But the Skaven just have a very unique way of playing it in that you That's... literally the most successful tactic I've ever had <laughs> with them to is destroy your own half units. of my army <laughs> is the cheapest units I have and the other half damage everything that's that's fantastic because i just tie up your units and light everybody on fire (laughs) and i don't care i'm losing a thousand golden units you're losing 20 you know what you know what that actually feels like something that would work really well in my pick so i actually am going the other direction i'm going a game that doesn't become an rts until halfway through the game and it is brutal legend that's the jack black heavy metal game that becomes an rts Oh yeah, it starts out as like a an an what it feels like a, an action like an action RPG. RPG, right? Yeah. Well, as you get into the game, you unlock you you start to build an army first with like groupies and roadies, and um, then you get like motorcyclists, and uh, and then it gets to a point where all of a sudden. You have one battle where you erect a stage to put on a concert because rock is literally its power in the the game world. And you're putting on a concert in order to overpower the enemy forces. And your ability to summon units to fight the enemy is based on the crowd you can summon. They're your resource. And at that point, your character, in a very... And this is what I was talking about earlier. I said I was going to come back around to this. In a very Herzog Zwei twist... Jack Black's character, your main character in the game, becomes an overseer unit directing the field of battle and then dropping down occasionally to deal with something personally before jumping back up again and overseeing the battle. Okay. And it becomes this weird... Well, that sounds like an interesting game concept. I never played... I'm not going to say it was as well executed as it could have been. It actually, it kind of bogs down at the end and it's sad because it had potential, but it wasn't... But did you Polished. enjoy the first 90%? I enjoyed the game start to finish. It has laser cats and appearances from some of the greatest metal gods of all time in cameo roles all over the place. One of your first abilities is you learn how to literally melt faces with a guitar solo. Um, your like final unlockable hero ability is the ability to summon a flaming lead zeppelin that crashes into the enemy army. Like, and it has just an amazing soundtrack. That game is single handedly the reason I know what metal is as a genre. Yeah, I, you had a sheltered musical childhood. I did. I did. It was sad. Um, um but yeah, as a hybrid RTS game. It wasn't the best executed, but it was incredibly enjoyable. Well, let's let's transition from here. Uh, we talked about the bests. What are your regrets? Both RTS regret and hybrid. Okay. Well, I think my, my hybrid is a little easier. That one comes to mind first. And that's going to be Spore, because Spore has an RTS stage. Yeah, I just, I don't know. It's, it's not really on my regrets list. Well, I, I really like Spore. I really like Spore. My regret is that so much of what Sid Meier had planned for the game in its early development cycle was choked out of it over time. And sure. so the RTS is 
it's more of a mini game too yeah it's more of a mini game than a than a full-fledged game in and of itself and it's lacking and the whole game is full of that that would be a really cool see when we talked about multiple games yeah You release Again, it as five Imagine episodes. a game where the cell stage and the animal stage was just one full featured game. And then another one where the tribal stage and the city stage are one full featured RTS. And then the last stage is one full featured 4X. Yeah. Right? And just if you own all three, you can play the same thing from start to finish. Right? Like it. I think it's a fantastic idea. Again. And I would absolutely buy it. Yeah, episodes if one, anything, Spore's biggest issue is that they don't do enough with it that we wanted so much but they couldn't and they just they weren't able to at the that, time that's and my they weren't able to with the time they had i get that because i enjoy the game i really do it's on my shelf along with both dlcs and i loved it i played it for a really long time and the rts could have been a lot more developed in the same way the whole game could have been a lot more developed so as a hybrid i feel like it had so much promise and potential and i don't blame the creator for the flawed product we got. I blame the studio that just manhandled the whole thing horribly and interfered and pushed for release date times and and we we didn't get what we were promised and neither did the guy who was building it. So that's that's my regret as a hybrid. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. My regret as a hybrid is probably pretty easy as well. I'd say Stellaris. And it's not because it's a bad game. It's an absolutely wonderful game. It's a, a fantastic, fantastic game. I suck at it. <laughs> I suck at it so hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I don't even know how to improve. I'm that bad at it. And it's it hurts me. Because there's not a lot of real-time strategy type games that I'm like just objectively awful at. I used to be good at a few of them, right? Like, but I, I just, I'm bad at Stellaris. I'm very, very bad at it. I'm, I'm sorry. Let me see. I'm a straight RTS. If you need time, mine's uh, right at the tip of my tongue as well. Yeah, go ahead. Warcraft Three Remastered. Yeah. Disappointing. When they came out, they didn't remaster everything. They didn't fix everything. They didn't update like anything. That it just. Congratulations, half the units have prettier skins. Waste a damn time. They they could have done something so much better with it and, and actually changed all of the things and improved all of the game and remastered Tuned all the of game the game up as opposed to just they, putting new paint on They it. just don't. They, they give a paint job to half the things. The cash crap. StarCraft 1, they actually remastered the whole game. Oh, yeah? They make it run exactly like the first one did, but it's not even the first one's... Like, it's not the same engine, nothing looks the same, it's all different. I actually did a good job remastering it. Mm -hmm. Warcraft 3, they did not. Damn disappointing. You know what? I think we mentioned it earlier. I think my regret, as far as RTS games goes, is really Halo Wars. Because it didn't take off like it should have. Because it was a solid game, it was a solid entry into the in the RTS genre, and it really could have done something for the console market honestly though i don't i think the problem with halo wars is that it wasn't that solid of a game until two and by then nobody cares no i i see as somebody who played through the whole campaign i think for a console game it much in the same way much in the same way that dune 2 kind of laid the groundwork for everything that came i think halo wars proved the viability 
of a console RTS game. And that's why I have a regret. Not that it was necessarily groundbreaking as a game, but that it proved the concept was viable and no one moved forward to try it. Right, but if they if they had come out with Halo Wars 2's system for the first one, the first time, I, I think the answer would have well, been... Well, are different. you talking about the selection wheel? Because they had that in the first one. I'm talking one. about... no. That, well, they, they improve the way the game just runs. Mm. 2 just runs better on a console. One's still clunky on a console. 2 almost feels good. Well then there again, there again the fact that nobody is nobody is jumping on that now that I don't see anybody even trying. It makes me sad because there is a viable market for that and if con- and if PC RTS gaming is is losing steam then we should look to other markets. And I think the consoles, especially now, as powerful as they've become, honestly have potential that isn't being explored. And it feels like a waste. It feels like a waste adventure. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Uh, and so that's that's a big regret of mine, that the console market, which is where this all started. It really started on a console. Herzog's Fi on the Genesis is the, the reason Genesis we have these. The Genesis starts it. It, it, it is inspired the every one of the Golden Age RTS games, and nobody's willing to go back. Yeah, and the, the Golden Age is followed by the Little Dark Age and the Big Dark Age, and then StarCraft Two, and now we're at the death of the genre. It's the mag. It's the swan song of the RTS. No, no I do believe that concludes our podcast for the week. So in wrap up, uh, any plugs? teasers or other well uh yeah i did actually get my twitch channel up and running on wednesday it it got almost immediately derailed by things that were going on here um but i was i was streaming the stream lasted a little over an hour i uh played a i played a couple of games played uh boulder dash which i loaded up after talking to mom about it on the phone the day before is it boulder or boulder boulder because you're start Europe minor they're big rocks yeah and then uh super mario brothers 3 played both of those for a little while it was fun uh i am really bad at boulder dash and you it played is... an hour and had a game change i did well okay so no, i Oh, so your your stream is as adhd as you are too no i had to i had to because uh i am i am really bad at boulder dash and it is partially because my rock candy gamepad the d-pad is too sensitive even when i turn the the dead zone all the way up for the micro movements you need in boulder dash i kept running in accidental circles and running into boulders because i would go to go left and i would go left up left down left instead and it was it was getting a little bit awkward and i got three game overs in the space of a half hour and i was like yeah i know that i'm rusty but this is this is not cool and mario brothers is less difficult to play so right. I'm going to have to, I'm going to see if my, I have another uh, controller and I'm going to see if the D-pad's a little tighter on that one. I'm going to go back and try it. Okay, again. so uh, other than your your brand new Twitch yes. channel, which can be found uh, Kaleidoscope at... underscore system. And I will be streaming, my plan is to stream Wednesdays and hopefully another day of the week, whatever works out, possibly, possibly Saturdays for a couple of hours. But definitely going to try for a few hours on Wednesdays and do some retro gaming. All right. uh, but that's about uh, it. And uh, any recommendations um, before we get out? Yes. Yes. I actually did have something. Um, now, if I can just remember it, why don't you give any plugs you've got while I try to remember what it was I was thinking about all week? <laughs> so I stream uh, just about every day. 
on Twitch, uh, which the it's changed. It is at neutral underscore NPA. Because for those of you who don't know, Team Dicks has officially rebranded itself for the new year. Oh, really? We are never play alone. Because we're trying to take yourselves way more professionally. So, like, Team Dicks just was causing problems. Uh, I... Despite the fact that it's not actually, a like, a phallic joke, right? The guy who started it, his last name is, is Richards. Oh. <laughs> Dicks. Yeah. So... Yeah, that's uh, we. It is at neutral underscore NPA, which is also my Twitter. Uh, and for those of you who hasn't seen it, who hasn't seen it, English. Um, there's a, a show on HBO called Hung H U N G, uh, and it has Thomas Jane as a like a, a history teacher slash basketball coach who hits like the end of his luck. And has to try and make other money. And the only quality that he has that is marketable is... Well, fill in the f- blanks here. <laughs> uh, he's hung. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he becomes a gigolo. Funny show. Don't watch it if you're under 18, kids. I don't know. Like, It's not porn, but it's sexually suggestive, at the least. It's about prostitution. And Thomas Jane is a great actor. He should be in more things. Sounds good. I am looking at picking up an an HBO account at least if they have like a free month trial or something here pretty soon. So I'll I'll add that one to the list of things to look into. I do remember what what I was going to do. It was two things. Neither of them are necessarily old things for once, but neither of them are necessarily like pop culture current things either. They're just sort of things. And they are both along a similar thread of content. And that is, I have two sites. I do a lot of tabletop role-playing. I run a lot of tabletop role-playing games. My wife and I actually play all the time together. And so I have a lot of resources that I use when I'm playing. And for anybody out there who is either looking into doing this or who just wants to take a look at some really cool stuff, the the first thing I have is called uh, tabletopaudio.com. It's a website. It is full of... 10-minute ambient background music and and setting noises in pretty much any genre you can think of, as well as a sound pad full of, again, different settings. Uh, You can customize your own or select one of the the settings they've got. They have everything from, like, old-school science fiction and fantasy-style stuff to uh, uh, extremely modern horror gothic even just background nature music. The the latest couple of things they've put up as sounds, uh, soundscapes. They've got one for pirates, uh, a king's throne room, uh, mind flare chamber, and something called Nordic Noir, which we were using in last night's game, which was really just a fantastic, strong, dark mood, which was really nice. And so tons of stuff, totally free. Extras if you join their Patreon. I find it to be an incredibly useful resource when I'm running a game because ambience really does a lot for your players so I find that to be really cool and I want to wreck them uh, the other thing same tabletop stuff but uh, when I'm looking for resources I am as I have mentioned not always current with things and a big part of that is because being current with things sometimes costs money and I don't have it but sometimes in order to, to stay current and keep up with what's going on and be aware of things sometimes it's useful to be able to look at something in the old days, I used to be able to go to the library, check out, uh, like, a game book. You know, like, Dungeons & Dragons would release a new book, and the library would get a copy. And I could check it out, take a look at it, write down the stuff that was important. 
and then eventually purchase the book. And I really use the same logic these days, only I don't have to go to the library anymore. There is a really cool site called The Trove. They're a little borderline on legality in that they're international waters. They, they are they are an international archive, and I have used them to look up uh, information on specific tabletop systems that I don't have the availability to get to right now, either because I don't have the cash but or... What I will say is that I have used the Trove in the past to look for a bunch of books of different genres and find which books actually are talking about the stuff that I cared about and then went yes. and purchased those books. Exactly. Because it was so hard to... I'm like, I'm looking for something with an interesting combat mechanic involving warfare and then it was like, okay, well, these books aren't having it. This one doesn't have it. This one doesn't uh-huh. have it. And uh, I this have one does. Through... And then I went and bought that book for the $5 or whatever. It was called Patrol. And I've gone through a lot of systems looking for what I what it is that I need for what we do. And right. I now have a list on my computer of books to purchase um, whenever I get them available. And it's only because I was able to check them out first and see the content within. And the Trove is really great for that. Um, and I'm glad that we have an international group that that has the, the legal capacity to do this because without this available, I never would have had this list of books to buy because I would have just I would have just accepted my fate as never getting my hands on them. And so for someone who wants to try something new, that's how I really got into the new world of darkness system. Um, that's how I managed to get my hands on 5th edition before I could afford it. Uh, it's how I was able to look at and, and compare different versions of, of Shadowrun and uh, look through my old catalog of Palladium games um, for a piece of information. I didn't need the system, uh, but I needed to remember uh, something. Palladium. And so that so having that access is just really, really so useful. so many memories. Yeah, so for anybody who loves tabletop role-playing games or is just curious about them, thetrove.is, they've got books on pretty much every system. Uh, People upload them for free so other people can take a look at them. Uh, And tabletopaudio.com is fantastic for all of your background soundscape needs. And those are my recs for the week are are gaming-related. So I'm I'm hoping to check out some actual current media over the next week, so hopefully next week I'll have a rec that is actually related to the public consciousness. Next, Next week, week, we are going to be discussing alignment systems. Why they suck, if they suck, what they should be doing instead, and how to make them work if you insist on keeping them. Uh, we'll be looking at the way... Including the, the philosophy of why Darkseid is better. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be looking at alignments across various systems, both tabletop and video game. Um, and, you know... Hopefully, we'll be able to unpack a little bit, understand ourselves a little better, and and enrich our gaming experiences as a whole. So, that's uh, that's next week's topic. Now that you know, you can bail out or drag someone in. Uh, we're hoping for the latter. But and uh, that has been episode five, our discussion on real time strategy games, our real time discussion, if you will. And I had real time fun. Everybody, enjoy your new year. This is this is after the fact, but uh, yes. Uh, we're 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 hoping for good vibes in 2021. Oh gosh, we did use them. As always, I am at Kaleidoscope J on Twitter. I am at Neutral underscore NPA. We are at AD Discussion. You guys all have a wonderful day and stay, stay distracted. distracted.